1: Welcome to The Travelcast, episode 205. The Travelcast is a weekly audio fiction magazine that brings strange stories by strange authors to strange listeners, such as yourself. I'm your host, Norm Sherman. Greetings from the Badlands of South Dakota. I'm recording this outside of the First Presbyterian Church of a little town called Interior, population 94. Perfect setting for this week's trifecta special number 16. Three different stories by three different authors, revolving around the theme of transformations. Just got done having a cheeseburger at the Wagon Wheel Bar and Grill, which is basically a trailer belonging to a woman and an enormous pet lab named Tractor. Lovely little place. I highly recommend it if you ever find yourself out here in the middle of freaking nowhere. You know there's something wonderfully wholesome and attractive about spending time in a little town full of rusty corrugated steel sheet roofs and a population under a hundred where the wind blows over the endless grasslands in all directions reminds you that bigger isn't always better with the exception of old tractor of course and most reptiles and cool badass insects and sharks and chunks of gold okay bigger is better a lot of the time but still Sometimes it's the simplest things in life that bring the most happiness, the things easiest to take for granted. Daddy wears his T-shirt in the
2: cold Kentucky rain While a boy in pure white briefs Looks out the foggy windowpane And even though his hamster died He finds comfort this, I swear Cause
1: you can't overlook your underwear Cause comfort ain't just found in teddy
0: bears and There's no labels hanging anywhere No you can't ever
1: over love you your underway You can't you really can't That's one important life lesson I've learned on this trip and that leads us into our first story, "Just Be" by Sandra Odell. Sandra's writing credits include publication in Jim Bane's Universe, The Drabblecast, four honorable mentions in the L. Ron Hubbard's Writers of the Future contest, and upcoming publication in Horrorbound magazine anthologies, "Fear of the Dark." She's a graduate of the Clarion West 2010 workshop, and she likes rolling in guacamole. And who can blame her, really? Who can blame her? So, without further ado, we bring you "Just Be." By Sandra M. O'Dell It was a muggy, porch-sittin' Saturday afternoon when the stranger came northbound along rural route number 16. He was clean and well put for a man, save for the dust and sweat of the road. He touched the brim of his weathered hat and set a booted left foot on the worn step of Burt Mitchum's storefront. Howdy. You fellas know where I can find the Lavendus homestead. Lavendus? You mean the old Levi place, up the way two miles or so? Partridge Maycomb pointed north with his sweaty bottle of RC Cola. He noticed the stranger's eyes, goat's eyes, but didn't say nothing, as it wasn't his business. Out on behind the Poplar Grove on your left as you go, Seth Blovett said and spit chew juice over the railing. He saw how the man's ring fingers were longer than the middle ones, but wasn't one to say so. Ain't much to the place, come tell. Run down. Been some time since folks lived there. Carl Mays took in how the fellow's ears were pointed, but figured it wasn't his place to speak out. The stranger brought his boot back to the dirt road. Thank you kindly. Bubba Maycomb, Partridge's half-wit son, watched the stranger walk on. Pa. Pa. Hey, Pa, y- y- you see that, fellas? Never you mind, Bubba, Partridge said, and finished his RC. Near on two miles up the road, the stranger turned left at the crown of summer poplars. The house was small and not much to look at, but he didn't see it run down at all. The windows were whole and the door clear of high grasses. The plank walls wore fresh whitewash the yard was a patchwork quilt of asters goldenrod and oxide daisies an apple tree with low branches promised good pickings come fall it was a comfortable place not so much lonesome as content to be alone he pushed his hat back and strode up the dusty drive and around the house on the left he found what he was looking for past a march of poplar on the far side of the back field a golden-haired boy old enough to be summer's best friend Squatted in the thick mud alongside a tumbling creek, faded overalls rolled up to his knees. He turned rocks over with a crooked stick, a splash at a time. The stranger came alongside and hunkered down. The mud dried up and cracked around his boots. Howdy. Howdy, said the boy without looking up. What you hunting? Mud bugs. Mud bugs, huh? Yep or treasure sometimes. The stranger picked up a smooth black rock and tossed it into the water. He breathed in the cool of the stream, the heat of the day. What sort of treasure? All kinds. I found this yesterday. The boy reached into his right front pocket and pulled out a ragged tube of woven paper-thin strips of wood, once red or green, now faded and dirty. Hold out your hands. The stranger obliged, and the boy slid one end of the tube over each of the stranger's first fingers. Now try to get loose. He smiled. His eyes were blue as the sky with sunbeam lashes. The stranger moved his hands apart. The tube tightened until it was snug around his fingers. Well, some trick, huh? The boy picked up his stick. Yeah, you could say so. A shape scurried out from under a tipped rock, and quick-like, the boy picked it up for a closer look. He turned the mud bug this way and that, its legs and claws going every which way, then set it back in the water. You always let him go? The stranger eased his hands together and freed his fingers, left, right. He set the tube on his left knee and smoothed it flat. Yep. Good for you. There wasn't no wrong in the silence that settled between them. But soon the boy sighed and scrunched up without moving. He put himself more inside his skin, like as if he didn't want to say what had to be said. I like it here. So do I, said the stranger. Real nice place. I don't got to rush none or worry. Yeah? You ain't going away, are you? Nope. The boy picked his stick up in the mud two twigs near the top stood out crosswise. It's not fair. Come on now. The stranger's words were gentle. A deal's a deal. We take turns, you and me. That's how it's always been, here or anywhere. It's so hard anymore. The boy's shoulders sagged low as his frown. All most folks want is to want, "'Round here I can be myself like I used to. "'I can have my name to myself "'and not worry about folks saying it or not saying it "'as they think it's right. "'It's all peaceful.' "'I know. No demands or foolery. "'No deals.' "'The stranger stared straight on at the sun, "'unblinking. "'We can just... be.' "'They touched hands and kept company with the creek "'until the boy sighed and made his feet. "'All right.' He rolled down the legs of his coveralls. You take care of the place. Always do. Mud oozed from around the stranger's boots. Take your time coming round again. The golden-haired boy headed towards the house. He looked back once, only once, as a dark-haired boy with two left feet unlaced his boots so as to feel the cool mud between his toes with no one to see and call him out. As old scratch. The yellow haired stranger headed southbound towards the bend in rural route number 16. His overalls were patched in a place or two, but clean, and he wore a John Deere ball cap far back on his head. He smiled bright and friendly, Howdy, fellas, as he walked straight into Bert Mitchum's, and equally friendly when he walked out with a frosty RC cola and fried bologna sandwich and went on down the steps. Bubba Maycomb watched the stranger walk on. Pa, Pa, you see that, fellas? Never you mind, Bubba, Partridge said, and took another swig of cola on a muggy porch sitting Saturday afternoon. For the second story of our Trifecta special, we bring you Wonder by J.R. Hammantation. J.R.'s fictions appeared in several magazines and anthologies, including Nosa Morte, Pseudopod, Outsider Inc., Atomic Jack Press, Necrotic Tissue, Space Squid, and a whole host of other cool places. This is his first appearance on the Drabblecast. The story is read to you by writer, podcaster, and game developer Barry J. Northern. Barry's horror podcast, Cast Macabre, is just over a year old now, and their episode, The High Priest, is already up for a parsec this year. They'll also be releasing an ebook anthology soon through their fan club newsletter, featuring their best stories and poems from authors such as Bruce Boston and Tim Pratt. Barry is also getting ready to launch a new young adult science fiction and fantasy podcast called Cast of Wonders, hosted by the splendid Graham Dunlop, which will be opening with stories from Abby Hilton, Nathaniel Lee, and Alethea Contis. Check them both out at castmacab.org and castofwonders.org. Alrighty then, let's get down to it. We bring you Wonder by J.R. Hammontation.
2: I wonder if you'll think of me when whatever lady you marry tells you she's pregnant. But I know that's unlikely, honestly, you'd have no reason to think of me then, anyway. Your plate will be full with babies, books and doctor's visits and late-night heart-to-hearts with your bros and confidential talks with yourself in the mirror. You'll be doing a lot to change your ways and to prove to everybody, especially your mother-in-law, that your wife didn't put all her chips on a losing horse. You won't think of me when your baby is finally born, either. No, I don't know what you'll be thinking then. If popular culture is any guide, you won't be thinking anything, except maybe, I'm a father, I'm a father, I can't believe it, but I'm a father. The whirl of the delivery room will grant your inner wish and fall into a state of reverential calm. The doctor's pat on your back will fail to register, and your wife's warm, fatigued smile will go unnoticed, because at that moment in time, it'll be just you and your boy. I'll be the furthest thing from your mind. You won't think of me specifically when you change your baby's diaper, wipe your baby's ass, and feel something inside him scratch back. But we'll be connected in some way, because then you'll get to feel what I'm always feeling, some kind of inarticulate jolting dread in your gut. But your panic, lucky you, will last only for a little bit. Rational minds rationalise, and you no doubt will suppress fears of your baby's health by smothering them with comforting reminders of your overactive imagination and the horrors wrought by your unchecked anxieties. The baby books will have taught you well. But mine's only stretched so far. And I can't tell you exactly what you'll think or how you'll cope when you see formless movement pushing against your baby's diapers like a heavy body groping against blinds. Or what appeasing words you'll offer to your crying baby boy as you hold his hand and as earnestly as you can muster, pray to your God, to anybody, for the bleeding and redolent rotting in his mouth to go away. But soon enough, you'll stop worrying about that. Because soon enough, he'll have no mouth. But I do know how you'll feel when all the doctor's visits fail, and you end up dealing with Frank or Sal or whatever quiet hoodlum in the waste management industry you manage to pay off. You'll beg him, please, 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 to keep his mouth shut. Just take the package and get rid of it. Don't worry, you have his word. He'll take the unmarked cardboard box containing your baby and hopefully he'll drive fast enough, or be oblivious enough, to make his way to the barge to discard your son before he hears your boy's mewling, gets curious and discovers something his mind can't undo. I'll empathise with you when you hold your wife at night after you tell her it all went according to plan, that she can stop worrying, that you two can, and will, move on. I'll empathise with you, a little bit, because at least then you'll know loss. You'll know a little bit about pain. And as scared and confused and distraught as you'll be, you'll look into your wife's dinner plate eyes and know you need to stay strong for both of you. But your stoic facade will come to its end soon enough. Desperate hopelessness. That's what you'll feel when you knock... Knock on the bathroom door, pleading with your wife to open the door, finally making headway when your fury breaks and you command her to open that fucking door, and there's that rage. You're finally putting it to good use. And to think, you thought it had left you. But we both know that underneath your brashness is gnawing futility, and that's all you'll know when she finally opens the door and lets you in, but turns away from you, too ashamed to let you see her face. But you can see it off the reflection of the mirror. You can't explain it, but her reflection looks too obtuse. It looks like melting. I know you won't be thinking of me then. I can accept that. But I do hope you think of me somehow, when, in the middle of the night, you open your eyes and see your wife walking on the ceiling like a crab. God! I hope lightning flares and thunder booms right outside your window when you get that first good look at her. You'll subconsciously take note of how long her limbs are and how unstable she seems, how something about her makes you itch and grimace as if you were watching contorting maggots suckling over rotting meat. But somehow, you'll know this is just the natural conclusion to what you set in motion five years ago. I pray some dying ember in your brain flares and you somehow think of me. Even when she lands on your stomach, moans a dirge into your ear and burrows her hungry hands into your face like a dog burying a bone in the backyard. And if you don't think of me, I'll make you. Even as your face and skin and eyes play the part of the doggy's upbended dirt, but even then. I'll keep a little mystery between us, I'll let you wonder, just before your consciousness floats off like a boy letting go of a balloon, why it was, five years ago, that even though you had knocked the drink out of my hand, even though you had your friends all laughing at me, even though you were calling me a faggot in front of the whole bar, all I did was smile
1: Freaky. Alright, and for our last story this week, we bring you You Had Me at Rar" by Nikki Drayden. Nikki's a systems analyst who dabbles in prose when she's not buried in code. She resides in Austin, Texas, where being weird is highly encouraged, if not required. You can see more of her work at NikkiDrayden.com. The story is read to you by Jake Bible. Jake lives in Asheville, North Carolina with his wife and two kids. He's the author of many published short stories and the creator of a new literary form, The Drabble Novel, an entire novel written 100 words at a time. Dead Mech is his first novel in this form, and it's currently available on Kindle, Nook, and Smashwords, as well as trade paperback on Amazon. Learn more about Jake and his work at jakebible.com. He's currently podcasting his second novel, The Americans, which is the sidequel to Dead Mech. Okie doke. So here goes. We bring you You Had Me at Rar by Nikki Drayden.
0: Few folks know that zombies prefer cat brains over human ones, cats being a smidge smarter and all. Problem is, cats are just so damn quick then again, few folks know anything these days on account of there just being two of us left, and I can't rightly call myself human anymore now, can I? Dr. Arbuckle performs last minute tests on the machine as I watch. She swats me away when I get too close. Not in a mean sort of way, but like Renee used to when I'd lift the lid off the stew pot to sneak a taste. Way back then, before Renee got the sight of her head all chewed up. <laughs> back then, when I still ate stew. I'm nearly done, Dr. Arbuckle says to me. She stands up from the instrument panel, and the light from the fluorescent lamps hanging overhead hits her just right. Strands of sweaty hair cling to her face. She's beautiful, and I tell her so. I say. She never understands. She treats me real good, though. We've got a sort of unspoken contract, her and me. She promises to catch me stray cats with those contraptions she set up about town, and in return I promise to keep her in good company and and to not eat her. June sixth, twenty forty one, she says, adjusting the dial on the machine. That should give the world enough time to mount proper defenses. I agree. That's two months before the first confirmed case of the Rochester flu, which came out of nowhere and killed over 48,000 in just a few weeks. Six months before the deadly mutation of the virus that now crawls through my veins. Eighteen months before mankind stares into the hungry jowls of extinction. Dr. Arbuckle works herself into a straight tizzy, stuffing a small duffel bag with test tubes and pages and pages of her chicken scratch formulas. I try to shuffle out of her way, but I never move fast enough. "'Steven!' she yells, giving me a bump with her hip. "'A little room, please!' That's what she calls me when she's frustrated. Most often it's just Steve, or sometimes Stevie, when she's feeling sweet on me. My real name's Chet, like I've tried to tell her, but yeah. It's a good thing we found each other when we did. I'd smelled the sweet scent of her brain... Must have been from 30 miles away. That's plenty far when you top out at a quarter mile an hour. I remember it clearly. Her scavenging the local grocery for scraps. Me scavenging for her. Probably the last two survivors left on this war-torn planet. She shot me six times before her bullets ran out. Blew my left arm straight off, too. But then our eyes met and my fetid heart fluttered. i Let off with one of my old pickup lines. If I told you you had an amazing body, would you hold it against me? (laughs) Of course, she only heard the moaning and she screamed to high heaven, but she warmed up eventually. Steve, come here. Let me show you something. I shuffle towards the back of the room where Dr. Arbuckle is waiting for me with a patient smile. She's got one of her cat-catching contraptions set up, but this one's different. Bigger. Sturdier. Sturdier. Listen carefully, Steve. Are you listening? (whistles) I say, I'm undead, not stupid. (laughs) But then she smiles again, and that makes it all better. Good. I've finished the time machine, and now I've got to set things right. I'll be going away, okay? I know I told you you'd be coming with me, but I'm afraid that's impossible. (whistles) I yell, she promised. She promised she'd keep me fed and I'd keep her company. I don't want to be left alone here. It's not that I don't trust you, but we just can't risk another outbreak. Oh, Stevie, I I know this is hard for you to understand. She sighs and places her gloved hand on my good shoulder. If I succeed, then none of this will ever happen. You'll go on living whatever life you had before you were infected. Well, this is just great last woman on earth is giving me the it's not you it's me run around. I feel something itching the corner of my eye then a warm bead of sludge trickles down my cheek. The hell? I'm crying! But in case I fail I've refitted all the traps so you can bait and retrieve them yourself. See this pedal? She presses her foot down on a metal plate and the cage door wrenches open. She drops a tuna can in a slot at the top. A barbed spike activates, punches a hole in the can, then eases it down onto the trigger plate. And that's all there is to it, she says, a trace of remorse in her voice. She walks back towards the time machine and slings the duffel bag over her shoulder. Well, Steve, wish me luck. Rargh, I say, and really mean it. She presses a button on the panel, and the machine begins to gyrating. I shuffle towards her as fast as I can, nearly tripping over my own feet. There's there's so much I want to tell her, and I can't help wondering if things were different, if my skin wasn't the color of weak old fish, if my body parts didn't slough off whenever they pleased, if I didn't feast on the brains of dead tabbies. Could she love me? I know, Stevie, I know. If there's another way, I... She gets all choked up. I must look really pathetic she steps towards me arms outstretched and hugs me i squeeze back my blue black tears smudging across her cheek it's then that i sink my teeth into her neck softly tenderly she yelps but doesn't fight there is another way she knows it i know it but it's one of those truly awful things no one wants to talk about until the deed is dead and done I hold her tightly in my arm and watch the life drain from her face. Then I wait, as long as it takes. Hunger's raging, but I tamp it down deep with every scrap of soul I got left in me. Finally, she starts to twitch, and her eyes flutter open. She takes a timid first step, then does something with the rigid muscles of her face that just might be a smile. I take her cold, stiff hand in mine. As we shuffle together over the threshold of the whirring time machine, she says those three little words I've yearned so long to hear. Roargh.
1: And that was our trifecta. Hope you enjoyed. Transformation. Sometimes it's a sad thing when it arrives. Sometimes it's horrible. Sometimes it's wonderful. Sometimes it's part of the deal. Sometimes it's thrust upon us with soft and gentle undead jaws. So, the Travelcast runs off the generous support of listeners such as yourself. You might know this. If you enjoyed this week's show, consider throwing us a donation via the links on our website, travelcast.org. Your contributions go to paying authors for their work, and we really appreciate whatever you can give. Alright folks, I've gotta hit the road, but before we go, this week's 100 character story winner. Congratulations to first time winner Chris Sims for this twabble here. Set me free from the stone that imprisons me, chisel it, chip it all away. Wait, I'm not a naked man, no, Michelangelo, no! and the butterfly rises from its cocoon. Try your hand at writing a 100-character story. Post it in the Twabble section of our discussion forums, linked off our main page. You might be next week's winner. Meanwhile, follow us on Twitter at TheDrabbleCast. All right, folks, that's our show. Remember, it's brought to you with a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license, which means don't change or sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. Special thanks to this week's awesome episode artist, Georgia Worley Cummings. George is an avid listener of the show, and you can find a link to more of her work in this week's show notes. We'll see you next week, weirdos. Until then, our staff is made up of associate editor Matthew Bay, your wife walking on the ceiling like a crab, and yours truly, Norm Sherman, reminding you that I am not a naked man. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The evening saunters to closing The waitress turns chairs upside down. Piano player picks up his tip jar and drink, and the bartender shouts, last round. An hour ago, this place was loaded. and noise filled the room like the smoke. And laughter and curses spilled like booze from a glass. Words were all slurred when spoke. Yes, words were all slurred when spoke.